All right. Uh, go with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And uh, we're going to look at verse number 3 down to verse number 9. I'm going to read these uh, verses, then we'll pray, ask the Lord to, to guide us in this thought and what we need, I believe, for this morning. Um, I, I'm, well, let me, let me go. I'll go ahead and give you the, the title uh, as a whole for this morning. Uh, the thought that I'd like to, to bring and for us to really kind of spend a, a few moments thinking about is, uh, is this. Wanting God my way. Wanting God my way. Um, we're going to see that uh, Peter in this passage of scripture has a little bit of this problem. And, uh, and then we're, gonna, we're just going to look at, at, at two areas, two main areas where um, most in, individuals today, whether lost or saved, um, those who, who are, are without Christ or those who know for sure that they've received Christ as their Savior. Um, there are two areas in which we can live with this mentality. And, um, and, it, and it actually hurts us greatly when we think of it from a humanistic standpoint instead of God's standpoint. The Bible gives us very good description. We're going to look at several passages very quickly to see God's way, and then to consider whether or not we are seeking what he has laid out or what I am saying, okay, God, I want to walk with you, I want to talk with you, I want to meet with you, but here are my terms. We be careful with that. Look with me in chapter 13 of the book of John, starting in verse number 3, we'll read down to verse number 9. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, again, the message that was presented um, Thursday night was in a, a different direction. It focused more on the humility, on the humbleness to wash the feet of those that would perceivably be lower than him he was the master he was the teacher he was the one that they were following and he was the one now that will start washing their feet and there's a whole message in all that that's not where we're going uh, as a whole today so i'm not going to get sidetracked but it says that he, that he began to wash the disciples feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded then cometh he to Simon Peter, and, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, now pay attention to these last two verses. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Peter does two things, and that's the first. I'll get to it in more in detail in a minute. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Now, be careful. Understand, he's not dealing with salvation right there in that statement. Because in just a moment, he lets Peter know that he's already been washed. He's already received the greater washing as far as the washing of sins. So I believe Peter at this moment, Christ is already saying, you've already been forgiven. You've already accepted me as Savior. 
That's not what he's dealing with here. He's not saying that, that you can't be saved if you don't let me wash your feet. If that was the case, well, then we're all in trouble because Jesus, isn't, he's not around anymore to wash our feet. All right? So he's not dealing with salvation with Peter here. But he says, if, if I don't do this, then thou hast no part with me. May I say, I, I believe what he's dealing with mostly there uh, more than anything else He's talking about you're wanting to follow me, you're wanting to be my disciple, you're wanting to, to let me lead and guide. If you don't let me do this, there's no way for me to lead you. There's no way for you to really follow me. Look at uh, verse number nine. So Simon Peter hear, hears that, you know, the, the, what Jesus said, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And so here's Peter's answer, the second thing he does. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Two things that Peter does here, and, uh, and we're going to revisit those in just a moment. Uh, but let's, uh, let, let's pray and let, let's ask the, the Lord to help us as we uh, bring our thoughts, Lord willing, bring the thoughts that the Lord would have together uh, and, and see this, this truth of the danger of wanting God my way. And what it does to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. I pray now as we open up your word. I pray that you would open it to us. I pray that you would help us to see. Lord, understand, comprehend, and also allow the truth of your word to sink deep within our hearts. That we may not, Lord, just hear, but um, that we would be convicted by truth in areas in which you're wanting to work in our individual lives. Holy Spirit knows exactly what we need. I pray that he would have free reign uh, in this time, in this place. Lord, would you deal with us in your truth in a way that would change us in this life as we walk with you. We ask it all in, in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we look at this, here's what I want, I want you to do first. We're, I'm, I'm going I'm to backtrack just a moment, okay? Um, and I'm going to give you two things, just two. Uh, that's enough. For me, amen? Just two things, and that is this. Okay, we, we, we live in a time frame when many people want to claim to know God and love God, but all too often it's on the basis of how they determine that it is needed or in what ways that they will approve of, okay? And with that, you've got two different viewpoints, two different um, um, categories of an issue here, if you want to put it that way. The first one deals with the, the individuals that do not know Christ as their Savior. They, 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 don't, they are what the Bible calls the lost world. Uh, they are uh, the, the unsaved, those who have not been forgiven of their sins because they've never called upon Christ and believed that he is uh, uh, God in the flesh, believing he died for them on the cross, believing that he offers salvation through the, the shedding of his blood, and then not just believing it, but believing on him and him alone for the forgiveness of sins. And, uh, and there, there are those who have never done that, and, and they hear truth, and they, they see it. By the way, in our country, it's getting more and more uh, commonplace that you start talking to people about Jesus, and some folks have a, a, an idea of a Jesus, and some have never even heard of him. You say, not in America. Oh, yeah, right here in Alabama. Right here in North Alabama, you, you can go next door and you think this, everybody here in North Alabama has heard of who Jesus Christ is. No, about the only thing that some of them have heard is how his name is used in very inappropriate ways. And so 
uh, when you start talking to people, we, we, we tend to have the philosophy that everybody in America is aware. And may I say it's becoming more and more and more that there is fewer and fewer that truly know who Jesus is and what he did for them. And, and even with that, some want to believe that he existed and, and the fact that, well, I believe in God and that be enough. I believe in God. I believe in God. Make, make a, a big effort to really emphasize, I believe, I believe. Are you a believer? Now, may I say, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to put down other people. What I'm saying is, let, let's, let's look at the truth of the matter. If you say, well, I am a believer, I'm not against that as a whole. However, you have to understand in today's society, that can mean a couple of different things. Are you a believer in God, in Jesus, or are you a believer on Jesus? You say, well, that's semantics. (laughs) Semantics are details. Or I should say the details are in the semantics, you might say. Some people try to push it away as, well, that's just using a difference of in or on. Yeah, but it means two different things. Um, You know, I, I I could pull a chair again and I could say, uh, you know, I could sit on the chair. It's a big difference if whether I'm in the chair or I'm on the chair. It's not as much semantics if I'm in it or on it. That's two different things. Uh, getting in that chair is going to be rather difficult for me. Cut it open, try to put myself inside of it. That, that's going to be really, really awkward. But I can sit on it all day. And so it's two different things. It's not as, not as uh, uh, minuscule of, of, a, of a meaning as we try to make it sometimes. But there is a difference between believing in and believing on as a whole. Now, I know that we are in Christ and, and, and that, we, that we, are, we are to place our faith on him. Okay, so don't, don't get me. I'm not trying to get confusing. I'm trying to understand. There are people that believe that God exists, but they never place their trust, faith and trust in him and, and placed everything that they have on him and him alone, and in him and him alone. They believe that he is, they believe that he exists, they believe in the thought of him, but they've not placed themselves in him. They have not placed their faith completely and totally on him and him alone. So in, on, all of that you got to be very careful with because people use different terms in different ways today. If there's one thing that's, that's very popular today is this, re-terming, redefining. Am I right? There's a lot of things that we used to, we used to, to call, certain, we used to have a lot of names for things that today you got to be careful what you call things because it's been redefined and you're saying something pretty nasty if you're not careful and in years gone by there were it was nothing bad now it's been redefined and you got to figure out what they're defining it as because you're saying something don't even know it so we got to be very careful with what we say so let's be specific we're not talking about believing that god exists we're talking about placing my faith and trust in him and him alone period and so uh when people say matter of fact john 14 6 when it comes to salvation some people say, well, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I want what God offers. But honestly, they, they many times will say, Salva- I want salvation in the way that I think it's most convenient. I want salvation in the way that I think it is. People say, well, to say that Jesus Christ is the only way is a very narrow-minded way. Well, that's exactly where I'm going for the narrow way. Um, narrow is the way, leadeth unto life. Broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. 
And so I think I'll just stick on the narrow way. You say, why are you going to stick with the narrow thought that Jesus is the only way? Well, because he kind of said it. John 14, 6. Let's be specific, okay? John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto, them, uh, unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's pretty narrow. All right? Uh, then also, by the way, say, well, I, we mentioned already that idea. Well, I believe that, you know, in God, I believe there is a God, okay? Uh, James 2, 19. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. Now, if we stopped there, we'd be like, yeah, that's what, that's what I thought. I, I got it all figured out. Continue the passage of Scripture, James 2, 19. Thou believest well. The devils also believe, and they tremble. You believe there's one God. You believe that God exists. That, bravo, you do well. Just understand, the devils believe, and they actually fear. I mean, to some degree, what he's saying is, uh, you've got the first half correct, but uh, even the devil and those that follow him, um, e even, even they uh, have uh, a little bit more than, than most today because they know that God exists and they actually fear him. They tremble in his presence. Why? Because they know. And now, now Satan himself, he always trying to rise above. And all of those that follow him, that the Bible, the Bible does refer to them as devils, okay, uh, all those that follow, all those that fell from the presence of God, the angels, the one-third of the angels that, that were cast out because they followed the rebellion of Satan, the rebellion of Lucifer against God, they know they're no match for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They know he exists, and they know to be afraid. People today say, well, I believe God exists, but there's no fear of him. I, I, yeah, I, I, I believe he actually exists, but they won't actually trust in him. They want God to meet them on their terms, but they don't want to meet God on his requirements. Not, again, not being ugly. I'm just laying out the truth here. Uh, you believe in God, you do as well. The devils also believe and tremble. So it's not a fact of why well, I believe God exists. That doesn't cut it. Uh, Acts 4.12 um, Peter, speaking in reference to Jesus, here's what Peter said. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He was referencing Jesus Christ himself. There is none other name whereby we must be saved. It is through Jesus and Jesus alone. It is what he did on the cross of Calvary. It is accepting him. It is for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not for whosoever shall live good enough so as to please God in all that they do, which, by the way, we can't because our righteousness, our good deeds, our works without Christ are nothing but filthy rags. They are just as good as filthy rags. They do not measure up. As good as a man can be, he cannot measure up to the holiness that God expects and the righteousness that he is looking for. We cannot get ourselves approved it is only through the approval of his son. 
How do I receive the approval of a God, a righteous and holy God, looking for the righteousness that would be approved? I must have the righteousness that is not of myself. It must be the righteousness that is placed on my account because of what Christ did for me. How do I get that righteousness? How do I receive that forgiveness? How, how, how does what Christ did for me get placed on my account so God the Father, when he looks at me, he doesn't see my guilt. He sees the forgiveness of his son placed on my account. How do I have that? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. With the mouth, mouth conf confession, with, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There is no other way. There is no other path. There is no other door. He is the way, the truth, the life. And only through Christ can we receive the forgiveness of sins. It is salvation God's way. It cannot be salvation with man's ideas and ways. He's already given a clear answer. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, if you've trusted in everything and anything except for knowing Christ and receiving him as your personal Savior, not knowing of him, not believing he exists, but placing your faith and trust by receiving and saying, Lord, I am a sinner. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Be my Savior. Unless you have followed through God's plan, salvation is not realized. We have our hope not in what we come up with, but what God has already put his stamp of approval on through Jesus. Now, after that, let me go ahead and, and, and do part two. Here it is. That's part one. So salvation is God's way alone. There is no other way. There is no, well, I want salvation on my terms. It doesn't work that way. It might work in, uh, I can say it this way, might work in religion. It doesn't work in God's way. Religion, as many have said, religion is the most destructive thing uh, that mankind has ever experienced. Uh, it's not about religion. You say, well, aren't you a religion? Uh, uh, no, as a whole, we are not religion. Um, we follow truth, and we follow it by God's command to the best of our ability. Uh, and by the way, it's not about just religion. It's about what we're going to look at next, relationship. Religion produces tradition. Tradition makes us feel good for a moment, but tradition does not ever forgive. Tradition does not ever solve the problem of sin. A religion itself is merely as a whole empty without God. It is going through the motions so that I feel good about myself because I did some good things here and there, but without the relationship with God. Where does it start? Salvation through Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. Now comes phase two, and this is where a lot of, uh, of those who, who call themselves Christians, who say that I know Christ as my Savior, they know where their eternity is settled to be, and that is with God because of the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. They've got it settled. They know where they're headed for eternity. That's wonderful. And so now here in the nasty now and now, how do we survive day to day? And I know this sounds, I, I preach this a lot in a sense, but that is called the Christian walk. We have to face it. We have to follow it. We have to do something in this life that reflects more than just me. If I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to be a Christ-like one. If I am a child of God, I'm supposed to reflect the God that made me his child. And so therefore, there's got to be something in me that is not me. There's got to be something seen of me that is not me. And that is Christ 
in me showing out the light that I am, not because of myself, but the light that God said, ye are the light of the world, the light that I am because of what is inside reflecting out. So that, that now we come to that point of, you know, Christ is your Savior, child of God. Now it comes down to, what about the idea of, well, I want relationship with God, but on my terms. I want to walk with God, but my way. I want God to be with me, but according to, to my plans. And, and he say, okay, so where are you going with this? Back to our main passage. You're already there. Uh, John 13, look at verse number 8 and verse number 9. Here is Peter. So now this is the best place to, to, to put this thought together because I do not believe, as I already said, I believe Peter was already saved. Uh, if you look at verse number 10, uh, when he said, you know, wash all of me, Jesus said unto him, verse number 10, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. What he's saying is, he that has already been washed doesn't need to have a whole nother washing. Uh, by the way, there's another, uh, there's Christ himself putting down that salvation is a one-time thing. Once you receive Christ as your Savior, it has been settled. I am not kept by my, I'm not saved by my ability, and I'm not kept by my ability. I am kept by Christ himself. I am sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. And, uh, and therefore, it is not I get saved, but then I lose it, and then I have to get saved again, and I lose it, and I have to get saved again. Jesus himself said, he that is washed, he's talking about being washed or forgiven. He is pointing out to Peter, I'm doing this in relation to you understanding spiritual truth. And so he, Peter says, wash me all over. He said, Peter, in the relation to the spiritual truth I'm trying to teach you, you have no need of being washed all over again. I just need to wash your feet. Uh, what do the feet represent? The feet represent... Uh, the aspect of this body of our going and doing. Uh, the feet represent, uh, at that time, through, through wearing of sandals and things, the, the, their, their feet, their one part of their body that got dirtier than anything else, as they walked through that life, the feet would get dusty and dirty. And, and, and again, I, I can't go into all the details, but as a whole, uh, roughly the, an understanding of, of foot washing in that time frame especially, it was a representation of letting someone know that, uh, that you are welcome. You are my honored guest. Uh, when you come in, you've taken your sandals off. But now, I don't want you just to be in my house. I want to wash your feet. I want you to know that you can stay for a while. All right? You don't have to hurry up and, and be here for a minute and then go again because your feet are dirty. No, I'm going to wash your feet. You're welcome to stay for a while. Let's wash, let's wash off all the dirt from your travels and let's just fellowship together for a while. And so that picture of, of foot washing what was symbolic of, of, of a, a fellowship that was desired. It was symbolic of spending more time together. And, uh, and may I say, Jesus in this as well is also trying to teach his disciples, you, you're already washed. You're already uh, mine. Now he does say there's one in their midst that wasn't. We know that to be Judas. He was, uh, he was a good pretender. And yet, uh, may I say, what's in the well always comes up in the bucket. There was a time frame that it was revealed that, uh, that Judas was uh, with them, but he was not of them, unfortunately. Uh, how sad is that, that you can walk and be taught, that you can actually watch the miracles, see all the evidence that today we would love to see, right? 
What we love to see uh, Christ and watch the evidence of him work like only God can work in healing and raising the dead and all turning, turning the water to wine and all the different things that he did. It's like, man, only God could control the elements that way. It'd be nice to have that. Judas did, and yet he still didn't accept him. He still withheld and did it his own way. So Judas was of the 12, but he was not of. He was with them, but he was not of them. But here, Jesus specifically tells Peter, Peter, you're already washed. You're already mine. You're already a child. So you have no need of a full washing. And he said, you have no need of washing save his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. What he's saying is, you are clean, you are, he's telling him, Peter, spiritually, you're saved. You are saved, you are forgiven. But as you walk in this life, there is need of being cleaned up a little bit. There is need of washing that which has gotten gotten dirty from the world and and, and the world you walk in. And so he's trying to teach Peter, Peter, if you want to walk with me, if you want to learn from me, if if you want me to guide you, you're going to have to let me do what is my plan to do, not what is your plan to do. Now I'm going to show you this and we're done. But Peter, here's Peter's attitude. Two things that Peter does in verse number eight and verse number nine. Peter starts off with, I ain't doing it. Right? Okay? Verse number eight. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Here he is. Now, think of the boldness there. <laughs> he's telling the one that, that he knows to be God in the flesh, and he's telling him what he's going to do and not going to do. You ain't, you ain't touching my feet. Now, I will say this, the preacher the other day, he focused also on the humility that Peter needed to learn as well. Christ was showing him humility far beyond what they could possibly comprehend. But Peter had a pride issue, and Peter was having a hard time swallowing his pride and not always trying to be in control. Anybody here like being in control? Anybody here like making your plans and you don't like your plans being messed up? Anybody here, when you wake up and all of a sudden, the first, first thing that happens, everything you had planned for the day gets thrown in the trash, and that just ruins your day. I've been there way too many times, been there. But Peter here, P- Peter looks and says, uh-uh, he's been, he'd been watching because he finally came to Peter. And it was pointed out, and it's very true. He, he was washing the disciples' feet. He didn't start with Peter. He got to Peter. And I can see the whole time Peter thinking, mm-mm, mm-mm. I see what he's doing with him. Ain't not with me. I see how he how he's handling. Mm-mm, not me. Don't think so. He come to Jesus and, and he told he, he tells him when, when Christ came to Peter he said, "Thou shalt never wash my feet." The resistance of letting Christ do the work of cleaning and preparing for service. The, the I'm saved. I know I'm saved, but. Bless God, I ain't, I ain't doing that. Well, that's asking too much of me. Well, we shouldn't have to do that. We shouldn't have to live like this. We shouldn't have to. Boy, I tell you what, everything's just so many rules, 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 rules. Right? As a whole, though, what Jesus is saying, listen, I just want to fellowship with you, and I want you to be humble enough to let me do in your life what I know you need. 
Nope, not me. Never. And then Jesus tells him, well, if you don't let me do this, you have no part with me. He's not saying I'm going to take away your forgiveness. What he's saying is, how are you going to be my disciple if you won't let me lead you? How are you going to be my disciple if you won't listen to me teach? How are you going to be my disciple if you're so stuck on your way that you won't listen when I say, we're going to go this direction? Hey, Peter, if you won't follow me in this and let me do this work, you have no part with me. So Peter changes his mind. Oh, gracious, I, I, I can't do that. Boy, I look really bad. Man, here I am. I'm Peter. <laughs> Peter has to be part of the crowd, okay? I can't be kicked out of here. I can, I, I've got I've to keep my status. All right, Lord. Second thing he does. First thing, full resistance. You ain't doing that in my life. Second thing he does is, oh, well, fine, 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 fine. Okay, okay, okay. If it's going to be that detrimental, if it's going to be that big of a deal, fine. Then, then wash all of me, Lord. Wash all of me. Not just my feet. Don't just do that. I, here, do everything. So here's what he goes from resisting it completely to saying, Lord, if you're going to do it, I'm going to call the shots. I'm going to let you wash, but I'm going to tell you how much I want washed. I'm going to let you do the work, but Lord, I'm going to tell you what areas you can work on. I'm going to let you uh, place some conviction on my heart and my life to want to do something, but I'm going to tell you what areas that you have allowance to work on in my life. So he goes from full resistance to now declaring to to, to Jesus what it is he's going to do. If you're going to do anything, you're going to do this. Now, I I just want us to understand, Peter is learning a very, very hard lesson of humbling himself and having to let God do what God plans to do in his life. You can't say, nope, I'm saved, that's all I wanted. Nope, I'm not doing all that. Nope, I'm not letting you work in those areas. Nope. And then when you realize if I don't, I'm in trouble. And so what we do is instead of just saying, Lord, I surrender all. Lord, I give you the ability to call all the shots of my life. Instead of going to that way, we start bargaining with him and saying, okay, 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 okay. You can have me, you can work on me, you you can show me some areas, but Lord, there are some places you can't go, there are some things you can't do, I'm going to give you exactly what I want. And he said, that's not what I'm looking for, I already know what I want to do. But God, I want you to work, but I only want you to work where I'm comfortable, where you work, where you work, you know, over here, okay? Don't go to the uncomfortable areas. Don't, don't do this or don't do that. Just do what it is that I want you to do. May I, may I say, that's not truly letting God do the work. It's relationship my way. It's relationship the, the, in the areas I deem acceptable. It's conviction in places that I'm comfortable with. That's, that's kind of a catch-22, right? Conviction in the areas where I'm comfortable Conviction itself is not comfortable. (laughs) When God works in my heart, typically it's the very areas that I don't want him to point out that he points out because he knows what I need. And I'm going to close with this right here. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. 
Uh, Psalm 23 talks about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It, it, the only way the Lord can be your shepherd if you're a sheep that's letting the shepherd lead. Psalm 37, 23 says this, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Peter had two problems. First one, he was resistant to God being able to do anything. The second one, he was willing to let God work, but only in the areas where he deemed it acceptable. If we're not careful, what we end up with is wanting God my way. I want salvation my way. It doesn't work that way. Well, I want, I want relationship with God my way. I hate to say it, it doesn't work that way. It might feel good for a while, but may, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, it comes down to doing it my way removes the very purpose out of the whole situation. If God's not in the center of it, but I'm in the center of it, it's empty. So therefore, if I'm going to have relationship with God, that's going to be full of him. It must be relationship his way. I have to have God, the heavenly father. I need him in my life, not according to my standard, not according to my expectation, but according to his. You say, how do I know what he expects? It's all here. Everything is within the pages of that precious book that he gave us. He doesn't leave it as a mystery to try to figure out. He very clearly says, if you love me, keep my commandments. What are his commandments? They're all throughout this book. Old Testament and New. God did not make it a mystery. He made it very clear. So is it God my way? Or am I going to have a relationship with God his way? It makes all the difference in the world. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the truth.